to the end of January, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to say goodbye to these cloudy, dreary days. Heidi here with Josh Gilbert and Connor over on the board. And if you missed yesterday, you know, we're still kind of in the new year, trying to make some tweaks and adjustments. And we want to hear from you guys. We had a, a several great text messages yesterday on the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126. And this is your show as much as it is our show. So we want to hear from you. What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? We really want you to be a part of this show. So if something comes to mind uh, today, tomorrow, next week, let us know on the Woods Basement Systems text line 84126. Let me tell you what we have coming up for uh, this Tuesday, January 30th. I'm excited about our first interview because we're going to talk to the director of St. Louis Lambert International Airport. There was just a new study out suggesting that, you know, with some of these improvements to the airport, I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars then coming to the St. Louis area. So we'll talk to the director of uh, St. Louis Lambert International Airport, find out what is on the agenda, how quickly can we see some of these improvements made, and is that a true number? I've always wondered, I mean, obviously an airport is kind of a visitor's first foyer, the first thing they see when they come to a city, but how important is a fantastic airport to the growth of a city? And how important is the surroundings of the airport, Mm -hmm. like in Denver. Have you ever flown into Denver? I have. There is nothing around there. But I feel like that's kind of the case in most places. I mean, Nashville Airport, when it's kind of takes 20 minutes to get to anywhere. I think for most areas, it has to be a little bit away from the actual city itself. And it's more of a manufacturing area. Because it really depends on when the airport was built. Maybe, and what's come up around it or what yeah. uh, rules and regulations there are but around it. But do people want to stay in the hotels near our airport? Well, do know. you want to anywhere? Near my, any airports? Yeah, I would immediately say probably not. Los Angeles, do you want to stay there? Or New York, when you fly into JFK, I mean, I don't know many people that are staying at the airport hotels unless it's a layover. Yeah. And you're just getting up to go the next day. Now, I'd be interested to see what the, what improvements they're going to make. And is it going to be like the new LaGuardia, which, frankly, I think they put too much money into, you know? Mm. This airport is too fancy. You think? But is that even a thing? I mean, they have that sculpture there that hangs down with the strings and everything. This is uh, a CBS Sunday Morning did a spotlight It was gorgeous. It. it was gorgeous, but it cost a million dollars. But is that the airport paying for it, or is that a donation From that someone, is going? Yeah, right. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, you know, fine print when it comes to that sort of thing. We'll also check in with Dor- Jordana Miller, who is in Israel for ABC News. There was this... Israeli aid on a West Bank hospital. Where do we stand with hostages? I feel like, and you know, I'm. This is as much my fault as any. I don't even know how many hostages are still, you know, yeah. in Gaza's. You know. So anyway, we'll ask those questions coming up. Are there any? Are any of them children still? Right. Any children left. But this. Have you seen the the stills from this? 
this raid in this hospital on the West Bank, uh, dramatic stills that they have released. I mean, some of I, these You know people... what? I, I don't. I, I can hear the stories. I, the pictures just upset yeah. me. They dressed up as doctors. There was a guy in a wheelchair who was an Israeli agent that popped up and they went in on this room. So, again, we'll get more information from Jordana later on in the hour. Yeah. Somebody's saying they'd like to know what the projections are based on, and we'll get into that uh, as well. In the 4 o'clock, and you know more about this than I do because I don't really know anything about the Concorde. When did it stop? The supersonic? Yeah, and they there's a new jet out that they just touted within the last couple of weeks, and they're like, oh, this is going to fly supersonic. And, and they're like, oh, this is the future of aviation. And I was left thinking, wasn't our past supersonic? We had the Concorde. Didn't that fly supersonic? And there is a question, for me at least, where did it go? I knew that there was a big crash in 2000. I remember watching that on the news. But was that the reason the Concorde isn't around anymore? Is it because it just wasn't feasible, profitable? Right. You know, were you going to pay ten grand to fly from uh, JFK to London in three hours? Likely, and I'm asking you guys this too on the Woods Basement Systems text line eight four one two six. Would you be more likely to hop a supersonic jet or a high speed train to say Kansas City or Chicago and get there within? Two or three hours. I wonder how long it would take the Concorde to go from St. Louis to Kansas City. You still have to go through <laughs> six minutes. All of the logistics of, you know, security and getting to the airport. You're, it's still going to take I tell you, you. I tell you what, an flying, hour flying to Chicago is what forty-five minutes in the air. Mm-hmm. But with all, like you said, getting to the airport early enough. Then getting from Midway or O'Hare into the city, you know, that takes a while. If you get on a train, if you take an Uber, I think that it's just as quick to take the train. Mm-hmm. Puts you right at Union Station, right in the We've middle We've taken the train a couple Chicago. of times, and I've n- never had a problem with it. A couple people weighing in on the uh, text line. Somebody said, definitely train here. Um I love LaGuardia. Great quality restaurants. Made the layover. Wonderful. And someone else from the 314, look at what the new improvements did for Kansas City. They got the NFL draft. This says because of it. So airports are pretty important. And then a couple people weighing in on what we're looking for, some do's and don'ts for the show. What do you want to hear more of? For what it's worth, I think this is interesting. Wife and I both listen on our way home. Recently, we started listening when we get home as well. Haven't done that since Frank Opinion. Mm. So I'm wondering what it is. You just want to continue the conversation? Um, somebody wants to know, since we have a wide variety of listeners, find out our occupations. Let us know on the text line. I'd love to know what you guys are doing out there. Woods Basement Systems text line 84126. And I just read an article um I wasn't going to bring it in today, but maybe I'll go try to find it. What did people do for work a thousand years ago? A thousand years ago. You just assume, you know, it's 10, 10 AD or what, you know, what's the, a thousand AD? What would you call that? 11? It's a thousand. A thousand AD. What are people doing? I guess I just assume everyone's a farmer. 
but clearly probably they, a smart bet. Yeah. yeah. And That's living off the land yes. yeah. as far as jobs in general. But they had cities. They had road builders, I'm sure. They had accountants, actuaries, right? Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go find that uh, article. But I am just as interested in what people are doing in 2024, you know, with the shift of everyone kind of leaving during the pandemic, the great migration it seems like I have more friends in tech than anything else. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So but, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Text us eight four one two six. What do you do for a living? There were probably yeah. a lot more blacksmiths back. Yeah. Then. Oh yeah. yeah. With the big anvil. Yeah. Right. You probably don't see as many of those now. Interesting. Right. We've got some people weighing it in medical device sales, uh, delivery driver for AutoZone, painting contractor. Uh, I sell tile. tile. Administrative manager. At a cemetery, and then uh, a finished furniture, refinished furniture, and a real estate agent. When Whoa. do you get to take a break is what I'm wondering. It's like that uh, Brad Bradshaw, the guy that's a lawyer, yeah. a doctor, and a physician. <laughs> so crazy. I could not wait. I had to go stream it last night and jumped in to see the behind-the-scenes story of We Are the World. Did you watch it? I did. Start to finish? Start to finish. It's a quick watch, but it is interesting. So Lionel Richie. What was what was the music award show? That the AMAs. Owned? The AMAs. Yeah. Okay. It's the AMAs. And basically, uh, and I don't know that I ever knew this, but Harry Belafonte came to Lionel Richie's, I guess, manager at the time and said, we need to do something. These kids are starving in Africa. What can we do? How do we bring, you know, people together and just make a push to do this? So the new Netflix documentary, The Greatest Night in Pop, kind of just shows you everything that is going on, how they're deciding who's going to do what. So originally, Lionel Richie is trying to get, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Lionel Richie is trying to track down Stevie Wonder to help write the song. And he's not calling back, not calling back, not calling back. And then finally, uh, I don't remember who said to Lionel Richie, well, what about Michael Jackson? And Lionel Richie kind of said, look, I've known Michael since he was 10 years old. I guess it was the first place that Michael Jackson ever drove was to Lionel Richie's house. Oh, when he was and 16. so uh, yeah. he said, yeah, I can, you know, we can work on this. They, I mean, the amount of time they had to not only write the song and arrange the song, but then pull all of the different people in, it, it's fascinating. And then how they decide who they want and who they want to leave out. And then some of the things that happen behind the scenes, like there's a debate over whether Madonna should be there, or should it be Cindy Lauper? There's uh, uh, Cindy Lauper's part was great. Yeah, and then you know Quincy Jones trying to figure out who goes where, and it it was really if you are uh, a person that remembers 
that record and all of those people. I mean, you've got Willie Nelson and Kenny Rogers and there's Bruce Springsteen's Bruce Springsteen part was real weird. I think I'm looking at it because I'm thinking to myself, I bet this song's a lot longer than we remember it. Because they had to, Bob Dylan no, was there. They, they not everybody had a solo, and that's part of this. Oh, really? Yeah, it's they pick who has the solos. There's an interesting part about Waylon Jennings. He was there for a minute. Okay. Oh, did they kick him out? I, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to. Uh, yeah. Uh, the song is six and a half minutes long. Yeah. So they, how many? Did it say how many people? In total? 40-something. It does say. It's 40-something. you got Kenny Loggins. Uh, it's interesting to see Daryl and John Hope Oates beside each other yeah. now that they're oh, in this yeah. whole... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is just... It, it, it's pretty darn cool to see all of these people. And I will tell you one more thing. And I think it was... Quincy Jones and watching him manage all of these great egos. I mean, every single one of them <laughs> all of these was a egos. superstar. Yeah. And the fact that it's happening after the AMAs where they're all already tired and, you know, ready to party or whatever. And they have a clock where you're seeing what time it is and they haven't even laid down the first. Uh, he put a sign, leave your ego at the door. Oh, cool. So I did a deep dive on this uh, when Michael died. Uh-huh. Was that 2010? And watched a couple of YouTube things. Never a whole documentary. Never, but it showed them all getting out of their limos in the middle of the night. Well, and it was a top secret destination. They didn't even tell the stars where they were going because they said, "Look, if this gets out, it's over. It's done. Nobody is going to walk up to the door if they see paparazzi everywhere. They'll oh, all just yeah, turn yeah, around." Yeah. Oh, good point. Great so point. Yeah, they go into that and how they kept it a a secret. I'm very interested. And what's it on? It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, and it's maybe 90 minutes. It, it, it's fast, and it probably feels faster than that, but it is uh, It's pretty incredible. And then there's kind of a fangirl moment from someone that you would never imagine being a fangirl of anyone and what that led to. Oh, just tell us. I'm going to watch it. Just tell us. Do you guys want to know? Yes, you're not. You aren't Look, Netflix. Somebody said, please, no more details. I just started it. Oh. Yeah, that's. Man. Uh-huh. I would have felt some kind of way if I was a big star and wasn't invited to We Are the World. Madonna. Right? Madonna. Mm-hmm. Not or invited. if you weren't invited to sing a solo. Yeah. And it's very interesting, too, because at one point, they're kind of like, if you can't hit this note, then just don't sing right now. Like know your place. I'm I'm still confused, just as confused as Bob Dylan was confused of why he was even there. <laughs> it's it's funny. There's a couple of times you look and you're kind of like, uh, is he happy to be there? No, no. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of Bob Dylan smiling. But in the videos that you can see, even in the music video that that they released for the song. He looked kind of confused, like, why am I here? Yeah. And we were asking the same question, Bob. Exactly. It's called The Greatest Night in Pop. It is now streaming on Netflix if you want to check it out. So So many people are saying, don't mention anymore. I'm not. I'm not. I just wanted to give you enough. I want to (laughs) know. Can I put in a request for for 
what we do on this show in the in the coming year? Can we get someone from that documentary to I'd join love us? Love it. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'll work on that. Yeah. Somebody you said, "How and why was Dan Aykroyd there?" I thought yeah. the same thing. Did he have a solo? Uh, I don't think he had a solo. Okay. Yeah. All but right. Kind of crazy. Um. Anyway, that's uh how we're starting the show. We've got lots to get to, including what is planned for St. Louis Lambert International Airport. We'll have that after a short break. A new study projects that major upgrades planned at St. Louis Lambert International Airport could mean big economic growth for the region. Rhonda Ham Niebrighi is the director of St. Louis Lambert International Airport, and she joins us with What's in the Works. Thanks for making time for us today. You're welcome. Nice to talk to both of you. So the study was done by Greater St. Louis, Inc., and it looked at the impact of the new single terminal plan and an expansion of Boeing. What else can you tell us? Do you know anything about this study? I do. I mean, we we provided a lot of the data for uh, Kimberly Horn, the team that did the study. And so very familiar with the study. And then we, along the way, looked at, you know, kind of the results um, and what impact we had. And what is the the plan? We've heard single terminal, but I don't know if that's actually what's going to go through. How would that even work? What would that even look like? Sure. So we did a master plan, and within the master plan uh, that was approved last year by the FAA, what we all came to a conclusion, and I say we all, we had the airlines, the airport, a technical advisory group, looking at the best possible solution for long-term access and uh, feasibility for our terminal. And what we came up with was a single consolidated terminal. So the plan that was submitted in our master plan and approved is to keep the historic domes of the Yamasaki terminal designed and built in 1956 and notarized throughout the world uh, to keep that, but then to do a modernization of the two terminals into one. So the there is it would be a single dual-sided terminal, which is a critically important factor and part of the reason when you think about the impact that we can have as we grow our airport, that dual-sided terminal with connecting activity for Southwest is a critical piece of them being able to continue to grow. So the terminal uh, would actually get pushed out a little bit. Uh, Again, it would be dual-sided, meaning you have aircraft arrivals and departures all the way around the 62-gate terminal. The first portion would be built to the western half. There's a number of enabling projects that need to be done, whether we move forward with this terminal or not, that would just enhance the infrastructure of the airport. So we separated those projects out last year, got funding approval from our airlines, and we're in the process of either designing and or in the near future constructing and moving a a number of facilities, a central utility plant, uh, a Westy icing pad or air, air ma- airfield maintenance facility, as well as the demolition of the long vacant Missouri Air National Guard. So that is the plan. That was what su- was submitted. That is what the FAA has approved. The environmental clock has started on any plan like this. If you actually anticipate that you're going to move forward with a build like this, the FAA has to do an environmental study, uh, better known as a NEPA study. That clock started in December, 
and they have up to a year to complete that. Right now it's on the docket to be completed in September, and during that same time frame, we're continuing negotiating uh, with our airlines on an extension to our use of lease agreement and the authority to go out for architectural design. So how quickly, if everything goes as planned, which we know it probably will not, how quickly could we see this one terminal? So you could, you would see it actually open in two phases. And with the one terminal also comes a new roadway system and a new garage at Terminal 1, which we know parking is a challenge and our roadway system is a challenge. So the first portion, that western half of the new terminal would be if everything moved forward and as planned would open in late 30, uh, 28 and then the eastern half of the new terminal where southwest would move into would open uh, in the, the end of 31, uh, first quarter of 32. So these are long projects. Obviously it's, it's design and once you get the design then you have to get the authority for construction. And as I said, there's a lot of phasing because a garage comes down and a new roadway system also gets built. So it's a great project. It is a very, um, I don't want to say complicated project, but there is going to have to be a lot of planning done in order to make sure that things move, move, slow, uh, move smoothly over the next several years. So we, we keep the iconic green domes, which, uh, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, designed by the same architect that did the World Trade Center. I don't know if people know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we would keep those. But what about the East Terminal or, uh, as you call it now, Terminal? I still call it East Terminal. Um, does that completely get bulldozed or, uh, you know, sidestepped? So Terminal 2 would be repurposed, and what we identified in our master plan was a number of opportunities to utilize Terminal 2. It would not be utilized as uh, as an aviation terminal. So you could look at a boutique hotel. You could look at putting all of the administrative offices today where you know, our, we have our airport administrative staff scattered kind of in a variety of buildings. You could look at putting those in there versus using the new terminal space um, and being able to to use more of that for concessions, retail. So you could move the staff in there. You could look at a a business center as well. So there were a number of different uh, ideas that were submitted in our master plan to be able to reutilize that terminal. That decision as to what that might be hasn't been made. That would be something that came down the road as we move further along in our project. And, Rhonda, who gets a say in that? Who gets a say in what the Terminal 2 is? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, most of it is looking at what's viable, first of all. Uh, What can it be used for? It is on an airport, so obviously there's a say from the FAA uh, in what purposes it can be used for. It needs to be something that is related to aviation and or the experience and benefits to the customers who are traveling in and out of your airport. So anytime you are within the airport proper, uh, there's a number of legal requirements, FAA requirements that have to uh, fall within the guidelines. So and then we would also obviously look with our partners as well and then look at the potential once we've identified, yes, these, these particular items are eligible for us to turn that into then what makes the most sense? What can drive revenue? Uh, you know, anything that can drive revenue for the airport in order to keep our costs competitive and to 
help pay for the long term um, uh, of the terminal is a, is another piece that would be considered. So what you're saying is that with Terminal Two going to be repurposed for something else to be TBD to be determined mm-hmm. later, everything right. is going to be brand new. The new terminal, one terminal to, to rule them all, it's going to be brand new. With the exception of the historic domes, of course, the lobby, you know the lobby would stay and obviously get reconfigured to a modern terminal uh, and modern check-in systems. We all know that life is changing very rapidly within aviation and the check-in process. So the lobby would stay, the domes would stay, that would be reconfigured. But yes, everything else uh, would become new. And what role does Boeing in this expansion play? So, you know, the Boeing expansion is on our property. That was a critical piece for us. And what the airport wanted to make sure is that we saw the, the benefit of that as well. Um, and that they're leasing the property from the airport. So that approximately 180 acres that they'll be building on is airport property. They lease that from us on a long-term lease. That's an additional revenue stream for us currently. Uh, there was no revenue coming in on any of that property. We were also maintaining that property, mowing it, having to ensure that, you know, the trees fell down, they were removed. A lot of expenses just with the upkeep of it. And, of course, part of that property has um, the old McDonnell Douglas building on it, which is, is quite an eyesore. Uh, so the, the Boeing program uh, that has been entered into is a land lease with us, with us that would give us an annualized revenue stream, and then they would build their facilities and operate. So I think when, you know, one, one important thing to think about the study, because GSL looked at it as not only what is the airport's impact to this region, but what is the aerospace industry as a whole? So taking in Boeing and the value of Boeing along with the value of the airport and thinking about the strength that we have in the region with the history of aviation and the operations that we have between the airport and between Boeing, that's what really makes this number look so positive. And, you know, I'll I'll be the first to tell anybody, a new terminal in itself is not going to bring traffic. That's not what drives traffic. But what we have to think about is our terminal conducive to the existing operation and how do we continue to grow that traffic you know we have a terminal that was designed and built in 56 very little space for concession revenue very very little space we have very little space from a garage standpoint so when you think about the infrastructure costs that are needed to maintain this terminal they're exorbitant, and you're not adding your revenue stream. So the Boeing deal, the ability to bring in 60% more concession and retail space, the ability to triple our garage revenue, all of those things help offset the cost. And then that critical piece to thinking about how do we, how do we grow our traffic here? What is making sense? We all know that Southwest is our biggest partner. 38% of their traffic is now connecting through St. Louis. And the ability to expand that connecting traffic, which brings more opportunity for our local customers, is getting more and more challenging because they operate with a single-sided terminal today. Mm. And that, that walk from E4 to E40 is substantial. And when you start stretching out that connecting time, it no longer makes sense to connect more people through here. You live with what you've got. 
So we have to think of how we can continue to grow that, give them the type of terminal that works, and give the type of terminal to our other partners that can last for the next 40, 50 years. I mean, this terminal has lasted us for 70 years. Yeah, and somebody on the text line said that they just went to LaGuardia and they thought it was fantastic and the food options were were fabulous and, and they just had a great experience inside the airport. How important is that? You know, you say uh, relating to uh, business dollars, um, how important is that for public relations for the city? How important is that for just people? Because I'll tell you right now, I flew out of Detroit airport. I was stunned at how beautiful their airport was. Minneapolis just did an airport remodel. Fabulous. I mean, I'd love to be in that conversation, but how does it translate to more opportunities in St. Louis? Yeah, I think, the again, the, the, the revenue side of the house is critically important to the airlines. This terminal is going to be paid for by the airlines. We do have some federal grant money. We obviously use our passenger facility charge that is on each ticket that is sold we collect $4.50. But it's those alternative revenues of the non-aeronautical co- that come in, like your parking, like your concessions, like your land rentals, and all of those things are significantly enhanced. That's why you've seen airports, as they've rebuilt them, as they've remodeled or built new ones, the concessions, the retail, the parking programs are massive. And that's because that's the expectation of the customer these days. And that also is the revenue stream to help offset those costs as you build those new terminals. So it plays a dual factor. Again, is a restaurant going to bring a passenger to the terminal? It's not. But it is the experience, and it's making sure that with all of your partners you have at the airport, that you've got a great relationship. They see the value of St. Louis not only as that origin and destination market, but as that connecting market and a great place to move their customers through, an efficient place. We have a great runway system, and it's time that our terminal system can match our runway system and really excel. And then if you think about some of the growing opportunities in St. Louis, like Boeing, like bringing more construction jobs, bringing more employees to work in those jobs, bringing more employees to work at the airport, all of those things enhance the regional economy. And at the end of the day, all of that suddenly makes our region, we're a piece of making our region look vibrant and competitive and the opportunity to bring more business here. And the more business we can bring here, the more need there is for travel. So it's a unified circle. And, I, you know, I'm always very careful to make sure people know we're just a piece of that, but we are a very important piece of it. And, you know, one thing the study identified, which to me really showed the strength of how we've been able to bring the airport back, is that we are 5.5. We, the airport alone, not Boeing, we, the airport, are 5.5% of the regional growth product, similar to the GDP. And that's that's a staggering number. Um, So I think, you know, the airport has a real opportunity to play into the overall growth of the region. No pressure there, Rhonda, as director of St. Louis Lambert (laughs) International. (laughs) Well, Rhonda Hamney, thank you so much for your time. I know you're not even in St. Louis, but you took the time to chat with us, so we really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. 
And I had so many more questions to ask her, but we're just out of time. Yeah, she'll be back. But I, I mean, that just puts the biggest smile on my face because it sounds like we are moving in the right direction and that's all we can ask. It doesn't sound like they're going to do it, you know, uh, halfway. They're not going to do it on the cheap. They're going to do a really good job. And I'm really excited to see what happens. Israel has rejected the current hostage and ceasefire deal that was on the table. Jordana Miller, ABC News correspondent, is in Jerusalem with the latest. What do we know at this point? Well, Israel still uh, says that, you know, there are lots of gaps on this uh, deal that's on the table right now. Um, and, And we're actually still waiting to hear what Hamas has to say about it. Uh, Ismail Haniyeh, the t- their top leader, the political wing, will be in Cairo tomorrow uh, meeting and is supposedly going to give an up- official response to this. But it looks like both parties can't agree on the end game. But the United States, Qatar, and Egypt are trying to get both sides to agree on just the preliminary phase one of this deal. And that would free about 40 Israeli hostages, women, the injured, the elderly, in exchange for uh, anywhere from a one to two month ceasefire, uh, pause in the fighting. And Israel would also release Palestinian uh, criminals that are in jails here in Israel uh, early, and even some that have blood on their hands that have been convicted of murder. So, you know, it, it, but whether Israel and Hamas will deal to will agree to move forward with those other issues outstanding, the final issues. You know, will the war actually end? Will Israel leave the Gaza Strip? Will Hamas relinquish power over the Gaza Strip? All those questions. You know, the mediators, including the United States, are saying, well, maybe we should just get to those issues later and do what we can do now. Yeah. You know, I haven't heard a number recently. How many hostages are there these days? There's 132 hostages, quite a lot, being held by Hamas. We do know that about 27 of them are bodies. So, there's, you know, in the best-case scenario, there's over 100 hostages that are still alive. Uh, and the youngest is turned one uh last week <sighs> the oldest is in his 70s um it's likely that that yet the youngest hostage it's it's not clear that family he and his four-year-old brother and mother are alive because hamas claimed that they had died um israel has not confirmed that but nonetheless not not great news how many kids are suspected to be held right now there's only two that are that are left in mm-hmm. in the clutches of Hamas, uh, the one year old Kfir and his brother Ariel, who's four. Yeah, um, that's just just absolutely terrible. And Israel is rejecting this. Why? What do they really want from this? Well, Israel's willing to pause the fighting, but they don't want to agree to end their campaign against Hamas in you know three weeks' time because they say they still need several months to uh, go after Hamas in southern Gaza, which is where the fighting is so intense right now, Um, the combat there. 
so and they're still discovering tunnels. You know, Hamas is still putting up a fierce fight there. So Israel really wants several more months uh, to keep fighting. That's one of the issues. The other issue is that while Israel doesn't want to keep civilian control of the Gaza Strip, it wants to have uh, the freedom of action to go in for security reasons and continue to fight Hamas. So Israel is unwilling to leave the Gaza Strip, though they would likely pull out to some kind of security or buffer zone, um, but they don't, they're not intent on leaving yet. And one of the main issues is they also don't want Hamas to have any role in post-war Gaza. Mm. Um, you know, that means, you know, goodbye, leave the Gaza Strip, you know, and let's, you know, try to figure out who can be in charge of over 2 million Palestinians. But um, Israel and the United States, they don't, they don't want Hamas to play a role anymore. Uh, taking civilians hostage uh, and taking children civilian hostages is unconscionable uh, to me. Has any friendly nations with Hamas come out and said, hey, you guys, we're on board, but you got to let these people go? Well, presumably that's what many countries have been saying to Hamas. European countries, you know, Arab regional partners, um, you know, they've been saying this damages whatever credibility you want to keep in the world, that you've taken innocent children and elderly. I mean, there's Holocaust, there was a Holocaust survivor they took, um, which is insane also. Um, you know, fortunately, in the first hostage deal release, there were dozens of children that came home. And the bad news is that we've heard they were physically abused, emotionally abused. Um, some of them were sexually assaulted. And that just bodes terribly for the hostages that are still there, mm-hmm. including the women. You know, we have to remember there are, you know, over 10 women that are in the clutches of Hamas. They're in their 20s. Uh, and you know, we already know from hostages that have been released, some of them have been sexually assaulted. Um, and, you know, it's clear, it's very clear that they could still be assaulted, you know, now. So there's a lot of concern, especially about those young women. And right before we came on the air today, we did see a story. Most of the fighting has been limited to Gaza. But we just saw a raid. Uh, Israeli forces raided a hospital on the west in the West Bank and uh, shot three people there. Do we have any updated information about what happened there? Well, Israel has been uh, ever since Hamas's attack on October seventh. Israel has intensified its arrest raids throughout the West Bank, trying to root out any Hamas sympathizers who might feel emboldened by what happened on October 7th and carry out uh, terrorist attacks in Israel or in the West Bank. So over 2,500 Hamas or suspected Hamas members linked to Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad have been arrested. Um, The raid last night uh, stands out because it happened in a hospital 
Israel says that the three Palestinians who were killed in all in one hospital room, um, one belonged to Hamas, two to Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and those groups have claimed uh, the three that were killed. Uh, Israel says they were plotting. Uh, first, they were hiding in the hospital, um, and they were plotting um, a massive terrorist attack on a West Bank Jewish settlement, kind of a copycat attack of October 7th. It would include both, like, both killing on a massive scale and kidnapping. And Israel found out about it and sent its commandos there uh, just before dawn. Uh, several of them that came into the hospital at different times disguised one as a woman, one as a couple with a, a baby in a bassinet, um, one actually in a wheelchair, and one uh, disguised as a doctor. And witnesses say they raided one room on the third floor of the hospital uh, and then left. And it was captured, you know, in that very dramatic video from security cameras from the hospital. Well, it's just an awful scenario all around. Jordana Miller, ABC News correspondent there in Jerusalem, please stay safe. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Our headlines for this Tuesday afternoon, January 30th, U.S. figure skaters to receive gold medals after Valiva disqualified. Members of the U.S. Olympic figure skating team learned late yesterday they will receive gold medals now that Russian skater Camilla Valviva has been disqualified for doping at the 2022 Winter Games in Beijing. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee received word that the IOC would uh, award the gold to the U.S. for the team competition, which was thrown into turmoil after the positive test from six weeks before the competition was revealed. So, I mean, a little late, but never too late for a gold medal, right? What's that phone call? Ring, ring. Hello. You want a gold medal? What? What? Would you, How? Would you feel? Me? Not, it's not lesser, but would you feel it's not the same, right? Well, you don't get to stand on the podium. You don't get to stand on the podium. You don't get to hear the song. Yeah. Here's my thing. They say when you win a gold medal, you can basically count on about a million bucks in sponsorships and deals. And, I mean, it's it might be inside the figure skating world, but, you know, I, you're now sponsored by the figure skating laces company or whatever. Yeah. You don't get that deal because kind you of it's- didn't win it. So that, that kind That's of... That's a tough one, too. That kind of stinks for them. But you still have a gold medal. At the end of the day, yes. But... You know, the perks of a gold medal, like the sponsorship deal, these skaters don't get that. Uh, A study out of Austin, Texas, they did a guaranteed income program, which is basically giving uh, 135 low-income families $1,000 monthly. And their program ended in 2023, August of 2023. And they're saying that more than half of the money that these people received went straight to housing, which is what they were hoping for. Um, People not being able to afford food dropped 20 percentage points after a year. So they're saying that this was a a resounding success of this guaranteed basic income. Uh, I bring this up because here in St. Louis, we're in the middle of ours. Remember, we had $5 million set aside. Uh, 547 individuals in the city were able to sign up 
get 500 bucks a month for the next 18 months. We're currently in it right now. So one of these stories coming out of Austin is that half the money went to pay for housing, which I think is what we all would would have hoped for mm-hmm. and expected. Barry Manilow coming to Enterprise Center this summer for the final time. Barry Manilow will be performing in the Gateway City this summer. It's at Enterprise on Thursday, July 25th. I mean, spanning several decades. His accomplishments include an Emmy, a Grammy, Tony Award wins. He's also sold more than 85 million records. Tickets go on sale Friday, February 2nd at 10 a.m. Barry Manilow's on tour? Or at least he's making a stop here. Would you go? I don't know that I... I mean, he's not exactly on my list of must-sees, but I think it'd be a great, fun show. You know who I think would really go uh, want to go to that show? Darren. Oh, you're right. I think Darren would love that. We should buy him tickets. For, we still haven't gotten anything for Christmas. Yeah, that should be his... Wait. Darren, are you listening? Hey, maybe we'll talk to him. We'll see if he texts me. Yeah. Uh, and here's a fun one. 118 new emojis have been revealed. I saw the headline and I didn't even dig in. Uh, some of the things that they're adding, a lime, of all things, There's has not, not been one. included in our emojis. Uh, people, who decides that? What kind of job is that? Uh, walking, running, kneeling, people in wheelchairs, people walking with canes, they're also being added to the list as well, as well as some more smiles and uh, face emojis. So that's a great question. Who is the yeah. emoji council? Can we ever talk to them? Do you use emojis? Um, I use the heart. I occasionally use the angry face or the smiley face or the maybe the, you know, wink with a kiss face. Oh, really? Those are the only ones I really Connor, you're younger than everybody, right? Do you use emojis? Are these for young people? Uh, yeah, I, I believe they are for young people. Are they? Yeah. Do you use them? Uh, no, I mean, a few. Yeah. Not really. I think I'm the person in the room that uses them the most. Then. Yeah. Are I you? Do. I use emojis quite a bit. I do think that's right. <laughs> How about somebody from the 636 just said that some of the tickets for Barry Manilow are $9,000. Oh. They haven't even gone on sale yet. Is that true? Is that like to meet? Meet him. You like get backstage. Super Bowl tickets for that. Darren is listening, and he says he wants front row. Oh, that's the nine thousand. <laughs> the tickets are nine thousand. We might be walking yeah, yeah. that back. Maybe a second bit. row, Darren. Yeah. Speaking of Darren, he's a man with a fantastic body. I know he's been to Club Fitness a few times. Club Fitness is really the ultimate fitness experience because, well, because of several things. One, it's like all of those. Other places wrapped into one. If you want that smaller kind of boutique feel, well, you'll get that at Club Fitness because you've got all the different boutique studios like the Pulse Studio and you've got the Cycle Studio and then you've got the Women's Training Studio. But then you also have group exercises. I mean, you can choose from more than 400 each week. You've got the dry sauna. You've got the red light therapy. And there are 19 area Location, So it's not like you're going to spend more of your time in the car getting there. Chances are there's one pretty darn close to either where you live or where you work. And each club fitness is open 24-7. They've also got the kids club and the smoothie bar. So whatever it is you're looking for to feel better, you're going to find it at Club Fitness. And there's probably one close to you. You can learn more. Clubfitness.us. 
Heidi, when I was kind of laid up with COVID, I was watching a lot of TV, and I stumbled across this documentary on Smithsonian Channel, two-parter, about the Concorde jet and the history of how it all came together mm. and what happened to it. And it was great. It was a very fascinating documentary. And then I see this story a couple of weeks ago that says that NASA's coming out with a new supersonic jet, and they call it the future of air travel. And I couldn't help but think to myself, well, isn't supersonic airline travel our past, the our, our recent history of air travel? One of the people in the documentary was Professor Guillaume de Sion. He's a history professor at Albright College, and he joins us now. Why are they acting like this is something new that they just invented? There are a couple of new innovations, especially in the aerodynamics, and so they're hoping to maybe uh, nope, not break the rules of physics. You can't do that, but maybe twist them a little bit. Uh, a bigger, big problem that Concorde always had was noise, and perhaps with that uh, new experimental jet, they'll be able to resolve some of these issues. So that's why they're, they're figuring they might have another go at it. A supersonic break the sound barrier. How loud of a noise would that actually make? Because I, I saw in the documentary and, and other places, people said it would it would rattle dishes off their shelves. Absolutely. Uh, you have to imagine Concorde was essentially a jet fighter uh, or a big bomber, if you prefer. Uh, you know, and when it took off, it was extremely noisy, just like a jet fighter. But then even in altitude, you heard a boom. Uh, now, you know, there's only 20 Concords that were ever built and flew, uh, but imagine if 400 of them, as had been hoped for, had flown. Uh, you would you would feel quite rattled in any case. So that that's definitely something they still have to resolve if they want to be able to reintroduce uh, supersonics. Is this something that's going to be feasible for the average person, or is this going to be like going to space? probably more like going to space. You're right. Uh, Concorde itself was super expensive. It used to cost more than a first-class ticket on a regular airliner. And uh, it's more than likely that this will also be something only for the, the very rich, uh, especially that the, the, the type of aircraft that they're hoping to design are likely not going to carry too many passengers. So it's going to be more of a, a niche market to uh, get you somewhere a little bit faster. And what was the Concorde like? When when did it first take flight, and what was it like on the inside? Because if you're paying ten grand a ticket to get from London to to New York in three hours, I would imagine that you know there'd be lobster, right? Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the first prototype flew uh, in in March of 1969. In fact, just a little over a month after a, a big Boeing jet, the 747, first flew, uh, and basically the the world had a choice. You either, you know, fly regular speed in a big, big plane that can carry 400, or you fly in a very tiny plane that can carry barely 100. Uh, and the difference was, of course, gas fuel, uh, which, of course, airlines, the two airlines that used it, had to recoup somehow. And so they started really overcharging, as you said, $10,000, up to $10,000 a ticket. How do you convince people to sit in? Well, you have more than lobster. You have a very special service when you board uh, a special private Concorde lounge in both cases for both airlines, British Airways and Air France, and uh, all kinds of other amenities, uh, including priority for takeoff. Was that the downfall, that just there weren't enough people that were able to pay for this sort of thing? 
by uh, by the by 2000, there's still some optimism that the Concorde was going to be able to fly maybe another at least five to ten years, uh, although it was getting up there in age in terms of its parts. Uh, what finished it off was a combination of factors. 9-11, of course, uh, got a lot of people afraid of flying, uh, whether even if it was on the Concorde. And then, uh, well, the crash, of course, of 2000, one Concorde crashed in Paris on takeoff. And uh, last but not least, uh, the Iraq war shot up uh, the oil prices. So uh, for both airlines, the question was, do you keep on flying it just half empty or do you call it a day? Uh, the interesting thing is that the airlines didn't have to decide. It was the company that succeeded the Concorde consortium. It was Airbus. And Airbus said, we're not certifying the parts anymore. And so that, that meant that 20 years ago, uh, you had to just, the last flights were taken where to museums. And how many planes were uh, commissioned? So a, a total of 20 were built. Uh, two of them were prototypes, uh, very differently shaped, uh, a little bit shorter. Uh, and then you had two what they call pre-series, basically prototypes, but much closer to the actual product. And then they built 16. Uh, and uh, initially, they were able to sell about nine to the national airlines of France and the U.K., uh, and then the remaining ones are what, uh, what were uh, specialists of the airline industry call white tails. They literally couldn't find a buyer for them. Uh, and eventually they were able to transfer them for, uh, to uh, Air France or British Airways. So it's, uh, it's a sad story because it was an obscenely expensive project, uh, although it did give the industrialists uh, quite a bit of knowledge in terms of how to build aircraft. Yeah, and uh, where are those planes today? I mean, I would hate to think that they got scrapped. So it it, it came close for one or two of them, but overall uh, there was enough common sense uh, among the airlines to actually donate them. Uh, if you're in the States, uh, there's one at uh, the Smithsonian Annex uh, at Washington Dulles Airport. Uh, there's uh, one also at the Intrepid Museum uh, in New York City. And on the West Coast, uh, Seattle, the Museum of Flight actually also has a Concorde. So there's three right in the States. That's the, that's the good part. And then there's uh, three or four in each, uh, the U.K. and France, one in Germany. Um, there's two that are stored in France, but uh, one is the, the debris of the plane that crashed, and that's not – you can't see it. It's, it's under seal for, for judicial reasons. And then there's one, uh, one that had an accident, a uh, small accident, not a serious one, but it was eventually scrapped. And so there's just a piece of it. But, but otherwise, uh, yeah, you, you, you can still see quite a few Concords. Uh, if you're at Paris Airport, you know, stuck waiting to take off, you might even catch one that is, looks like it's taking off, but it's permanently on the stand near the runway. And it was a joint project between uh, British Airways and uh, Air France, uh, so much so that they couldn't decide uh, what to call it, Concorde uh, with an E, which would be the French spelling, or Concorde without the E, which would be the the British way. Um, But they are the ones that put this together. Did the United States or did any uh, American airline companies ever think to try to build a supersonic jet? Absolutely. Uh, Air France and British Airways were the ones who had to buy it, uh, but it was a French uh, state uh, company, uh, a British state company, British Aircraft Corporation, who had to build it together. They even sought some uh, possible cooperation with the United States. Uh, The United States has an interesting story because uh, Concorde was launched in 1962, and an extremely angry President Kennedy said, how dare they? uh, We're going to build one as well, and we're going to build it even bigger. 
go faster. And uh, for years, uh, there was uh, there were studies made, uh, which eventually ended up uh, being probably given to Boeing, although Lockheed was also involved. Um, unfortunately, by uh, 1972, it had gotten so expensive and so complicated that the project was canceled. Hmm. Thus ended uh, America's foray into supersonic air travel. So do you predict uh, a future? I know that some of your classes um, there at the university does um, talk about airline travel and uh, their effects on politics and all that stuff. But do you see a future where we will have commercial flights that maybe they aren't as fast as the Concorde, but they're, they're supercharged? There, there, there could be a niche market for some of these. Uh, in fact, uh, one uh, possible uh, supersonic manufacturer has some options. Uh, options are you know, possible intentions to buy, but not the actual contracts from a couple of American airlines, even from Japan Airlines. Uh, and so there could be a, a market for a very high-end service, uh, say, between two major cities. Uh, but that's something to remember. Concorde was a niche project. It, it worked between London and New York or Paris and New York. Uh, all the other destinations, even though some did happen, were either charter flights or eventually uh, regular flights that, that, were, that they stopped because they weren't making enough money. So am I, am I optimistic about supersonic flight? If, if someone wants to build one, absolutely, and I, I wish them success. But we, we do have something that we call infrastructure, and you and I all experience this. In fact, some of your listeners do as well, which is, you know, you go fast and you get stuck in traffic. And uh, that's what would happen even in New York. Land at 8 a.m., only to be stuck an hour to get into Manhattan. Yep. Uh -huh. well, maybe they can have uh, supersonic taxis that take us from LaGuardia <laughs> into Manhattan. Well, thank you, uh, Professor Guillaume de Sion, uh, history professor at Albright College. A uh, fascinating look at the Concorde, and uh, we were talking about the airport earlier. This is our airline day, maybe. Maybe. Here on the Heidi Glaus Show. Thank you so much, Professor. Take care. Bye-bye. Somebody says somewhere around 1970, as a teenager, I cut the ribbon for the Concorde to fly out of St. Louis. My father, Jack Laws, was an airport commissioner at the time. I think that they probably did do one-offs mm -hmm. from here to there just to probably show, show it, it off. off. Yeah. Absolutely. We had our friends in from Confluence Academy's uh, Grand Center Arts Academy yesterday, and even one of their students, Solomon, played us the drums. He's so talented. He's also a jewelry maker. But that's what's really cool about Grand Center Arts Academy is it leans in to students' passion for the arts, and then as they, you know, become more passionate about art, they tend to flourish more in the classroom, whether that's English or science or math. I mean, it's all encompassing. But right now is the time to register for the Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp, where your child will receive hands-on learning from industry professionals in all kinds of areas of the arts. I'm talking about instrumental and vocal music, theater, dance, and the visual arts. I, it is really cool. Matter of fact, I said to them yesterday, can you do a camp for adults? The camp runs from July 8th through July 19th, and it's open not just to students there at Confluence Academies, but to students from all districts entering 5th grade through 12th grade. You can choose one week or a two-week camp, and there's just a small fee of $40 for class materials. But enrollment is happening now through July 5th, and it will fill up. 
up because it's just such a popular camp. But you can learn more and enroll today. GrandCenterArtsAcademy.org. Since we were talking about the Concorde and how fast it was and supersonic everything, a professional powerboat race is going to debut in Alton later this year with a weekend-long event that is expected to draw thousands of attendees. The Formula One Powerboat Championship will host an event June 21st through the 23rd on the Mississippi River in Alton. It's a three-day event. It will include races featuring an array of boats, including F1 powerboats, that can move up to 120 miles per hour. It is going to be something to see for sure, and I'm sure that the Alton area will pull all kinds of fun things around the event for the the whole uh, weekend. But that's kind of exciting, and not only is that exciting, but uh, the Guinness World Records exhibit is coming to City Museum with a mix of fun and science. I mean, I love looking at some of the weird things that people have done to get into the Guinness World Records. And it seems to me that City Museum is a perfect fit for it. I mean, we have the world's largest underpants at City Museum. There's the world's largest pencil at City Museum. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that is in the Guinness World Records book already at the City Museum. Do you like these things? Like, I'd be interested to see what what some of these world records are. But you know, the the guy to you know clap his hands the most in five seconds is that yeah. something that we're really truly interested in? Um, the Alton Giant. Yeah, you know, world's tallest man. Now that's a record I can get on board with, but some of these Guinness World Records, I think they're kind of running a little fast and loose. With well, this. someone once submitted a single exclamation point, claiming that it was the world's shortest poem. No, see, no. Yeah, oh, that's good though. I like that's good. Uh, it's creative. Guinness World Records receives about a thousand submissions a week. A week for records. Wow. Yeah. How many of those do they put in the books? I don't know. I think a lot of the time you just can send it to them and, you know, be like, can you consider this for the record, right? It's don't not like, they have to, like, send somebody out, though? I don't even know if they have to for some of these. You know, if you have, like, video proof, you just, hey, I videotape myself doing, you know, snapping 10,000 times in a row. No one's ever done that. All right. How about this one? Mm-hmm. A father and son wanted to set a world record for the longest ping pong volley while having iguanas on their heads. No, that's that's, it, that's exactly what I mean. Right? But no, that's the not folks at Guinness World Records declined their submission <laughs> and they said we do have standards. <laughs> so I No iguanas. I kinda right. like that one. You, you do? Know? Yeah, you? yeah. No. No? What if there was no iguanas? Longest ping pong volley, is that that's acceptable? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. The iguanas is just window dressing. It's <laughs> kind of Crazy. It's a hat on a hat. Yeah. Well, it's kind of fun. The Science of Guinness World Records is at City Museum through April 14th, and it's free with your regular admission. But it looks uh, to be pretty cool. And if you haven't been to the City Museum in a while, I mean, it is a one-of-a-kind museum, and we're pretty lucky to have it. And you're saying that it's it's probably too old for Finn just quite yet. Right, you have to. There are things he can do, but you're going to have to crawl in all the things with him. I remember taking Jude and Claire, and you know that was 
probably 12 years ago and trying to climb into that giant slinky outside, you just kind of forget how maybe not flexible you are at a certain age. So just know that you're going to have to crawl in after him. I just, I would worry I put him on a slide and he ends up on a floor that I don't know. He might. That is part of the fun. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of things that are going bye bye, because that's what all those things are, which is the fun of City Museum, is that some of those things were saved from landfills. Those slides used to be, you know, shoots for different factories or watch bands that were going to be thrown out, kind of fill around one of the posts. You really have to look at things closely to figure out what everything is. But the owners of Chesterfield Mall have finally set a date for when the mall will close and when work will start on the new $2 billion project to replace it. All tenant leases at the mall will end August 31st. Demolition could start as soon as the fall, and that's, of course, ahead of this mixed-use downtown Chesterfield project. Plans for that uh, to be built right there on the mall side at Interstate 64 and Clarkson are set to move forward since the Steinberg Group received final approval from the city council back in September. There's going to be more than 2,500 apartments along with high-rise offices, retail, restaurants, and a hotel. Downtown Chesterfield will kind of create an urban city center in Chesterfield. Which, which, it, which it doesn't have. Right, which will be kind of interesting. So I have always said, where's downtown Chesterfield? I mean, you mm-hmm. could even find, maybe it's not downtown St. Peter's, but it's Old Town St. Peter's, and there seems to be a little kind of city there. Uh, that fried chicken place is there. But does Chesterfield have any of that? I don't think it does. No. Somebody says that City Museum does have a floor just for kids under four and a lot of things to do. You've also got the circus that you can go and check out, and they do a fantastic job with that. My buddy's got a kid who's just a year older than Finn, and he said, did you think about maybe doing Monster Jam? Uh, The Monster Truck Show. It was crazy. So much fun for kids. Have you been to this thing? Of course. You have? Yes. I'm thinking Finn's just a little too mm. young for this. Kids start to love monster trucks early. I know, I know. But You need I, to probably put the headphones on them because it's so loud. I'm buying some headphones. I'll buy myself some headphones. but uh, It's fun to see. I don't was, care how old you are. It is fun to see them crushing cars. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. But uh, it just happened on Sunday, and I'm so fascinated by where they get all that dirt from, you know? Where the trucks and trucks filled with dirt have to be brought in for this thing. And then when they're done... It goes back. Back in the trucks? It goes back in the trucks and then back to where the it next, came. You know, as, uh, oh, no, they don't travel with it. They get the dirt here. Oh, they do? Mm-hmm. do At did least you they do used to. Yes. Hey, Heidi, on this? <laughs> Come on. 22 I years. I also... Uh, one of my proudest moments. Took a lot of work. But when I was on the early morning show, I found an old TV in the basement. And not only did we just have the TV there, we put it on one of the uh, opposing TV stations. And while I was on, the monster truck crushed the TV and hence the competition. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was pretty fun. All the parts of the TV went everywhere. Wow. Who was on the TV? Was it was it Larry? Was Larry on the TV when you did that? No, it was early mornings. <laughs> oh, it was mornings. Uh-huh. Who would that have been? <laughs> I, don't, I only watched Channel 5 back then. Um, but, all in fun. All right. in fun. 
Who was on the mornings on Channel 4 back in the day? Oh, wait. was it Maybe it was Channel 2? Mm-hmm. It was Channel 2? Channel 2 has always been like the the, the big wig in the mornings. Did you crush Perth's board? I did crush him. I, ah! I was an intern. <laughs> I was his intern at first. It was all in fun. Did he have a mustache back then? Yeah, he did. He did. Mm-hmm. He did. I hope. Well, I hope you didn't crush Randy because I'm a big, <laughs> big Randy fan. Um, somebody said it's stored in North City, St. Louis. The dirt is. Mm-hmm. I... I I'm floored. What do they do with it? Do they just leave it there all year? And then... Well, they use it for other things. Like they bring in the dirt for the motocross. You got to have that as well. Why don't they do the motocross one weekend after the monster truck so they don't have to move the dirt back out? Well, that's not as easy as you think it is with all of the different tours. And I think they're different times a year. And, you know, when you move that dirt out, I'm sure they use bulldozers. I'm sure they use earth movers they and do. everything and all that stuff. But there probably is still a little residue left on oh, the floor. Oh, there are people sweeping it. I was going to say, I'm sure there's one guy, you know. A hey, couple guys, yeah. actually. Hey, Randy, how you doing? Well, almost done. And some guy with a push broom just uh-huh. cleaning up all the dirt. Somebody from the 314, my son and grandson, went to Monster Jam. They both loved it. They go every year. I think we might go next year. Somebody else said City Museum is great on a first date. You really get to see what the other person is made of. Yeah, how uh-huh. willing they are. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Absolutely. That is a great. You can see how adventurous they are, mm-hmm. how adaptable they are. Yeah. How um, prissy they might be. Maybe. <laughs> you can learn a lot of, about somebody just by taking them to the city museum. Um, before we go to break, can I mention this? Do you know what the Super Bowl tickets are going for right now? I haven't looked. Average ticket price is $16,000. Now, historically, and they only did this dating back to 2013, average ticket price was Two thousand dollars, twenty thirteen, less than just a little over ten years ago. It has gone up every year, but it was actually more expensive in twenty twenty one to go and see the Super Bowl than it is in twenty two, twenty three, and now twenty four. Because we were so excited to get out of COVID. I maybe that had something to do with it, or it was the fact. Do you remember who played in twenty one? Tom Brady for Tampa. Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Pat Mahomes. They yep. also limited capacity the for that game, if you remember. Oh, they did. It was about half was or sixty percent. The COVID so, game. The COVID restrictions. Hmm. Well, I just thought it was pretty interesting to see that it was most expensive in twenty twenty one. I think it really had a lot to do with the teams. Maybe Connor's right. Maybe a limited capacity. Mm. No, I just got back from some fun in the sun, but I am missing that sunshine. And if you feel the same way, well, you can book a trip with Altair Travel and Cruises. Now, you might be wondering, because I've had friends say, well, I can just go online and do it. It's not that simple. Altair Travel and Cruises offers you so much more than just doing the work for you. First, there's expert guidance. I mean, they know all the ins and outs, and it's personalized service. It's also the best value because they have more vendors. They know more people. They know where the deals are, and they have years of relationships with all of these people. It's also one-stop shopping, so it's not like you know, you're going to have to end here and then go and find your flight and then go and find your transportation. 
Altair Travel and Cruises does all of it for you, and it's guaranteed satisfaction because they don't stop as soon as you book your trip. They're there with you the entire way. I promise you'll never be happier than after you've used Altair Travel and Cruises. It is a fantastic company with fantastic employees to make sure that you have a fantastic trip. AltairTravel.com. You can also call the office 314-968-9600. says it will lay off 12,000 workers after a disappointing fourth quarter that saw a slump in shipping demand, not only here in the United States, but internationally. Derek Dennis, ABC News correspondent in New York, joins us with the latest. And this is kind of just one of many companies with layoffs right now. Right, absolutely. We got the word from UPS, 12,000 workers, mostly managerial, non-union positions. That announcement today, but it follows uh, layoffs that we've seen in uh, mostly the tech sector, uh, eBay, Wayfair, Macy's, Amazon, Google, Meta. uh, Those big companies have announced layoffs at the beginning of the year as well. And so... Uh, analysts are saying it's situational. There are a variety of reasons why uh, layoffs seem to be happening in droves, but they say it's nowhere near uh, pandemic levels when we saw a company shedding hundreds and thousands of jobs. But it, it is cause for at least some extra eyes on it for analysts uh, as they look ahead to uh, you know the, the year progressing and then uh, what the Fed might do with interest rates. Derek, does this have anything to do with when we were at home, you know, we were all just ordering online constantly. It felt like we saw more and more delivery drivers, and now maybe that has just waned a bit? Well, you know, UPS is saying no. They're saying it's mostly because they overprojected the demand for uh, shipments. Uh, so not necessarily because of people staying at home for the pandemic, uh, but just in general, the, the need for shipping things has waned, at least according to their numbers. But in the tech industry, that's exactly the case. The, the pandemic level, they're saying uh, they saw and needed uh, more of a demand for, for tech and for, for uh, companies and, and you know suppliers and people who depended on the tech industry for goods. And so they're saying absolutely, post-pandemic, uh, they've seen a real shift, and that, that has meant layoffs in the tech industry. And, Dennis, you said UPS, 12,000 workers will be laid off. How many people work at UPS? That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. It's, it's as you said, not just in the U.S., uh, but internationally as well. We're talking about managerial positions. And so when you think about it across the country uh, and uh, internationally, globally, you've got tens of thousands of workers who, who are, are helping UPS get packages uh, to and from. So 12,000 uh, is a small number comparatively, uh, but it's a big number when you look at it just as a whole. But UPS says laying off those workers will save the company a billion dollars. And they wow. say they need that because the forecasts, at least for the first half of the year, uh, don't look so good. They say by mid-year and towards the, you know, the third quarter and the fourth quarter, they're expecting to see an uptick. Wow. And so, Derek, as far as our favorite UPS driver, we can still look out our door and wave at him or her. Yes, absolutely. They're saying non-union workers 
uh, are, are going to get the brunt of these layoffs. But those workers who are on the trucks, who are delivering our packages, uh, they appear to be safe for now, according to UPS. But the company is looking to trim costs uh, because of their economic forecast. And so uh, they're not saying if more layoffs are to come or if this is it. So we'll have to wait and see. And Derek, I hate to second guess you or second guess UPS even. It's their numbers. But I feel like we're ordering more online today <laughs> I, than ever. I know I know I am. I mean, for sure. Uh, and, and so, yes, uh, in a way, uh, you, you think not. But I will tell you just anecdotally, I went to the mall this past weekend and it was packed. People were out and about shopping. And so that gives you the indication that maybe we're not ordering as much. Maybe we are getting out and about making purchases that we didn't do uh, during the pandemic, for sure. And so that may be, at least anecdotally, uh, what's going on here. No, Nobody's confirmed that, for sure, uh, but it, it appears to be the case. More people are out and about doing their shopping uh, and, and not so much online. And, Derek, I'll uh, piggyback off you. I was at the mall over the weekend Mm -hmm. as well, and it was pretty busy. But when you look around the landscape here in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's only really two malls left. Uh, There really is only one mall that a lot of people actually really go to. Um, yeah. So that, Isn't that sad, too? I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but I remember the mall being the place to go. And so to think about these malls going empty is is really a sight. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you know, if you look at your, your Amazon cart and, and others, people are ordering a lot of things online. And those are all shipments. And they're being handled uh, by shipping companies for sure. And so you would think... Uh, that uh, UPS will be able to weather the storm. Uh, they're expecting that they will, and that by the middle of the year, uh, shipments and the shipping demand will, will come back. All right. Derek Dennis, ABC News correspondent in New York. Thank you for your report. Sure thing. I'm wondering which uh, malls you're thinking of, because I can name three at least. I mean, you still got South County. You still got West County. You've got the Galleria. You've got Frontenac. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about Frontenac. Um, so I went to West County. It's pretty busy. Okay. I was thinking the Galleria. I mean, Mid Rivers Mall is still, still a thing. Still a thing, but every time I go in there, there's nobody ever in there. I'd be curious. Is South County Mall kind of like Mid Rivers, where there's not a lot of people in there, or is it uh, still thriving like West County is? And is Galleria? I haven't been to Galleria. Galleria is still going it's strong. Still going strong. Yeah. And then uh, over in Fairview Heights, is that St. Clair Square? I think. I think you're selling malls a little bit short just because of, I mean, obviously Chesterfield Mall has, uh, right. Jamestown Mall. Northwest Plaza is where I go to vote now. But you're just talking about your area. That's true. We are doing a radio show about all of St. Louis and beyond. South County Mall, let me hear you. St. Clair Square. Are there still people there? And now for the top five at five news from around the room. Why don't you go first? Sure. And just before we get started, someone called in and said that St. Clair Square is hopping. I love hearing that. It's packed. All the all the storefronts are packed. And what did you say, Connor? A bunch of stalls outside. Uh, yeah. He said that Yeah, they lost Sears, but everything else is pretty much... Yeah, up well, and running. There. Everybody lost. Everyone lost. Everyone Sears. lost Sears, but that is great news to hear. And uh, I know that we used to go to Alton Square as kids, oh. and that also 
long gone. Um, so St. Clair, Clair still rocking. Waiting to hear on South County, though. South County Somebody Mall. on the line says there's no one at South County Mall. There's no ever. one. At, oh, okay. Well, that's, that's disappointing. All right. Have you seen the story about the guy that stole Judy Garland's shoes? Yes. So apparently there was a, a small-time thief. One last score, 2005. He walks into a museum in Minneapolis, and the shoes were there on loan. Judy Garland from Minneapolis. And he was one of the last people to enter the museum right before closing, took a hammer to the glass case, and stole the shoes. This is in 2005. Mm -hmm. Now, he claims that the reason he stole them is because he thought that the ruby red slippers were actually made of rubies. I think if anybody really looks at these things, they can say (laughs) these are definitely are made of sequins, and there is a little bow on top of each each slipper uh, that looks like it could be a ruby, but that's just glass. So he took the shoes. This is what he claims. Took the shoes to his fence. That's the person that buys stolen merchandise and moves it. And the fence said, "This is these are sequins and glass. This isn't worth anything. And so he said he got rid of the shoes. Now, he never said... What he did with them, the shoes actually turned up in 2017. Someone contacted the insurance company, which the shoes were insured for a million dollars. Today, they're putting that at about three and a half million dollars is how much the shoes would be worth today. Contacted the insurance company and said, I I can help you find these shoes. I'm sure they wanted to wet their beak a little bit. But there was an FBI sting and the shoes were recovered in Minneapolis at some point, shoes still being held by the FBI. But this guy finally had his day in court. The problem is he's on hospice. Mm. And he is suffering from um, some lung issues. He's in a wheelchair. He's got an oxygen tank. The judge just ruled this week that he will not see any more jail time than he already has. So... The mystery is still out there. Where were the shoes for 15 years? But it might be one of those things that we just never will know. Hmm. So the ruby red slippers still haven't been returned to its rightful owner. This guy's named Michael Shaw. He's a memorabilia collector from California. But like I said, as of right now, the ruby red slippers, I mean, this guy must, oh, these are worthless. Worth three and a half million dollars. Man, I am currently thinking, wet their beak. A phrase I don't think I've ever uttered. And where did that come from? Do you know what it is? I do know what it is. Have you ever heard it? You say it quite a bit. I say it all the time. (laughs) So I'm wondering, what? where did it originate? Well, I like to think, you know, I'd like to take a drink from that. You know, I'd like to wet my beak a little bit. You know, give me a shot. To get a little action off of this thing. Okay, okay. So interesting. You know. Someone else on the text line says South County Mall is running about seventy or eighty percent what it used to be, but the holidays are still quite busy. So that's good. South County Mall. Yes. Okay. Uh, here's a sweet story. For the last decade, Heather Bonate 
has treasured a very simple present from one of her former students. She's a 35-year-old who's now the program director, but she used to teach first, second, third grades and was a special education teacher. It was during her last Christmas season in the classroom when she said one of her students gave her a very simple gift that has stayed with her for the last 10 years. I mean, she has kept it on her desk. The move that that student made had a huge impact on how I viewed things in life. So she opens this box, and it is one simple purple crayon. And she said, it's purple. And he said, I know, that's your favorite color. She was like to herself, don't cry, don't cry. To know that he took the time to pay attention to the minor details and to make that movement is something that will always live in my head and is embedded in my heart to this day. She said she's kept both crayon in the gift box and even references it to the kids she works with. In the line of work that I do, a lot of these kids come from broken homes or they come from where they're not sure what their next meal is going to be. It's a lot of different hardships that they face, and there's days that can be mentally draining. And she says she often shows them the box and the crayon just to say, you know what, it doesn't always take money to create something, or you don't have to spend a lot of money to show someone that you appreciate them. Just having this, I think, is keeping them reminded, as well as myself, that just the thought goes a very long way. Now she is turning this into a children's book based on that gift and the lasting effect that it's had on her as well as the message that she wants others to take away from what has, of course, become a viral social media post. She's going to call it the giving crayon to show that it's a crayon, but it's what it's done to keep on giving to her and to other kids. I thought it was pretty sweet. It's a cute story. Somebody said wet my beak is from the Godfather or Godfather 2. Uh, I don't remember. He might have been in there, but is that what it's from? Was that the yeah. first time no, anyone said it? No, I think they. Uh, everybody says it, right? Not, <laughs> not everyone. I, I'll say, it, Josh. I'll say. Thank you, know. you. Thank you. Use it. Uh, I'll use it. Uh, all right. The Denver police have put out a warrant for arrest for a YouTuber for making a video of him speeding from Colorado Springs to Denver, a drive that normally takes about an hour or longer. And he did it in 20 minutes, traveling over 45 miles an hour past the speed limit, weaving between cars, Mm -mm. uh, going off onto the shoulder and back onto it. This is on a motorcycle, by the way. I mean, he he, and he's a YouTuber. He posted the video for all to see. And as you can see here, he's... It even says who he is. It says exactly who he is. It's posted on his thing. He's weaving in between cars. At oh, I hate this. Breakneck uh-uh. speeds. It's, it's you know, it's dangerous, but it's kind of You ever had a motorcycle that he did do that, that to you oh, on these highways? It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they say he posted it to his own personal YouTube channel. I, I presume he did this for YouTube. Uh, he wants. He's uh, wanted on charges of menacing, uh, speed contest, reckless endangerment, reckless driving, speeding forty miles over the speed limit, engaging in an exhibition of speed. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is what is that thing? <laughs> and he didn't have a license plates on the motorcycle either. Oh, the easiest thing uh, he could have done. The easiest thing he could have done. Uh, my question is, I mean, he post. They know it's him, right? He he said he posted a video saying I'm doing this, um, but they. Can't just go get him, 
You know, oh, yeah, right. It's just the warrants out. You know, we're looking for them because this happened in September. So it's, you know, January now. What's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? A that, regular car, not like on a track. Not like I'm sure you've done a hey Heidi. Not a hey Heidi. Okay. Well, you've what's the fastest story. on the track? Yeah. Uh, One twenty six. Wow. On a curve, like on the uh, the. It was the straight away, but it was the were over at um, Gateway. Were you a passenger? No. You were driving. Yeah, you. They used to be able to do. It. I don't know if you still can or not. The Richard Petty driving experience. You had a the, your teacher was either in front or in back of you. I don't remember. But you have to do the whole lesson or whatever, and then you're on the track for as long. And they kind of see how well you can do. And I got up to 126. You got to speed around the turn, right? Because yeah. the, the angle, if you people want to slow down, but then you, you fall keep to the bottom. You got to speed up. The car falls off the track. Yeah. <laughs> but it was That's, pretty darn cool. Was it cool? Yeah, really cool. I feel like I'd spin out or something. I mean, it's you get a whole new appreciation for drivers to do it for that long. And to hold that steering wheel so tight, and then I mean, I wasn't even, you know, switching paint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Did they where that phrase come from? Uh, Did they put you in the helmet? Oh yeah, jumpsuit. Absolutely, they do that even if you do the go karts over there, and you have to kind of sit through. And those go karts go pretty fast. It's pretty fun. That's more my speed. Yeah, Uh, I just I don't like going fast. Mm. It just makes me uncomfortable. I do. Uh, yeah, I know you do. I've driven to remotes with you, and, and you've gotten there 20 minutes before I have. Um, apparently, uh, Don Finucci in Godfather Part Two, when he's asking uh, Vito Corleone to give him a piece of the action, uh, asks that they should let him wet his beak a little bit. So Okay. The, the flashback scene. Robert De Niro's Vito Corleone. It doesn't look like it's from The Godfather. It looks like it's a variation of Wet My Whistle, which is much older. Well, he was speaking Italian, so maybe there's yeah, something maybe there's lost some, in, a, in, maybe there's some, in translation. Yeah. Um, I've got some back in the day. Do, we missed this yeah. in the 3 o'clock. Can we do a, a back in the day segment right now with, for my other story? Oh, and by the way, somebody pointed out it's trade and paint, not swap and paint. Yeah. What I say? You said switch and paint. Switch and paint. Switch and paint. Trade and paint. Trade and paint. All right. Back in the day on this date, Heidi, January 30th, 189 years ago, 1835, Andrew Jackson became the first president to survive an assassination attempt. Mm hmm. He was attacked by a guy with a pair of pistols that both misfired. And the 67-year-old president then went on to beat the man with his walking stick. Which sounds like the most manly thing ever. Survive a shooting and then beat the guy up with the, with your own with your cane. <laughs> I think Teddy Roosevelt did something like that, too. That uh, makes sense. Yeah. Speak softly, carry a big stick. 1969 on this date 55 years ago connor you just watched let it be on apple plus about the beatles the beatles made their final public appearance performing on the roof of apple studios in london have you seen video of this Mm -mm. they were gonna try to do like a big one last concert before they broke up and they were oh should we go to the parthenon should we go to the coliseum Maybe we get a boat and do it right on the on the River Thames. But they just, you know what, let's just go upstairs to the roof. And do plug it. Plug in and do it. The Did show, it sound good? Yeah, I think it sounded fine. 
Yeah, I mean, they had cameras rolling. Was it part of the, the Let It Be documentary? It is. It yeah. is. Uh, they had cameras, all the sound engineers and everything. The show was stopped, though, halfway through when police arrived because neighbors were complaining about Of course about they the, were. It's the Beatles! And you know, somebody probably called it, Oh! You know, some band of ruffians is playing a music concert on the roof over here. Didn't realize it was the Beatles doing their last concert ever on this date. And 24 years ago in the year 2000, hmm. here, well, not in St. Louis, but no. we were all watching here in St. Louis. It was in Atlanta. The St. Louis Rams beat the Tennessee Titans 23-16. to 16 the tackle. Super Bowl 34. The tackle, Kevin Dyson. And who tackled him? Um, Michael. Uh, Mike. Gosh dang it. The tackle. I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. I can see him. Was it Mike Jones? Yes. Uh, St. Louis quarterback Kurt Warner passed for a record 414 yards. It was named the Super Bowl MVP. I'm watching video of this thing. The play starts out on the 10-yard line. There's five seconds on the clock. I mean, he got... He got close. A lot closer than I remember 24 years ago. It was inches. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Mike Jones, Mike Jones, 23 to 16. So if they would have scored and kicked the field goal, they would have tied and gone mm-hmm. into overtime. Or I guess they could have gone for two. Could you go for two back then? Yes, you could go for two back then. And I think they instituted the two point conversion. Well, I not think, I think recently. it was in like the early 90s, early 90s. But boy, everybody remembers where they were. I was at my buddy Pat's house. He was having a party and it was Really something. It was exciting. To watch this on TV so everybody knows where they were. It was uh, game six with David Freeze. Oh, yeah. That was a fun one. And then the Rams won in the Super Bowl. Yeah. 2000. Gosh. It's crazy. It's been that long. 24 years ago. Yeah. In the true definition of a worst case scenario, an unnamed bride-to-be in California had to call off her entire non-refundable wedding reception worth about 15 grand after I guess she learned something about her fiance instead of just you know eating it she took the disaster and turned it into something magnificent donating the reception party the dinner the dessert the drinks the DJ the dancing and the photo booth to a nonprofit called Parents Helping Parents, which provides community support to parents with children who have special needs. The organizers of the not-for-profit sent out invitations called Ball for All had all the seats reserved within 48 hours of sending out the invitations. The bride detailed the party was to be for all the special needs folks from a zero to 100 and... Just such a delightful gesture. The executive director said their joy and delight really told the story about how special and unique this event was. The moment the ballroom opened, we all filed into this beautiful candlelit room, tables draped in white linen. And she said in all of her years in the nonprofit sector, this has been the most rewarding aspect of just watching the decent human being 
you know, turned this awful experience into something fantastic. She said it was the best and most altruistic tendencies in people and what a special gift it was from someone she didn't even know. Hmm. Pretty darn sweet. Somebody asked me on the uh, text line how fast I've driven an RV. And, you know, in Oklahoma, in certain places, the speed limit's 80. I don't know if you know that or not. I thought, like, maybe, like, in West Texas, there was no speed limit at all. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know that I've been in West Texas. We've been to to Austin in the RV, but I did have one of the smaller RVs at probably 80. This one... Was it shaken? No. <laughs> the dishes rattling in the... As long as the, you know, the pavement is pretty smooth. This one, a little bigger, maybe 72 or 73 for a short period of time if there's That's not it? a lot of traffic, but I'm not driving this what one. If you, what if you took it out on the track? Yeah. 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 What's yeah. the top speed? No, not going to... floor it into the turn, do Lady that. Lightfoot? Uh-uh. Not taking a turn. All the dishes... And the coffee pot and everything else. Oh, you and all, can all the dog stuff. Town, all the Dogtown pizzas yeah. flying out of the freezer. Exactly. But I think, you know, it is about all the places you can go. Byerly RV knows that this is like, you know, packing up your vacation home and then going to a different place every time. Instead of going to the same place year after year, you get to see everything. And everything changes. <laughs> like, the topography. You go to upstate New York and the wildflowers are different. Byerly RV has been doing this for uh, more than 70 years, 75 to be exact. And though some of the makes and models have changed quite a bit, what Byerly RV does is the same. They find you the perfect fit, the perfect thing for either you, you and your uh, favorite human, you and your four-legged friend, or you and your entire family because they have fifth wheels and travel trailers and travel vans and toy haulers and motor homes of all sizes, both diesel and gas. I mean, if you have never, you know, stepped a foot in RVs these days, just get out there and see what they can pack into these. It is amazing. And when I was talking to friends about, you know, because they were new friends. I'm like, what do you love the most about RV? And it's like having all of your stuff. And you know what else is nice? You don't have to pack because it's all already in there. Your hair dryer, your shampoo. All you do is throw the clothes on that you're going to be wearing over the next four or five days, or maybe you're out for two weeks. You know, some of these uh, RVs have washer and dryers. So you don't even have to pack that much. Byerly RV, you can see it all. And by the way, their new service and storage facility, oh, MG, it is amazing. Uh, you can learn more about everything I just mentioned. Do a little shopping online, byerlyrv.com. I think I mentioned that uh, I was told I couldn't do any projects this year. Now, we did the bathroom last year thanks to Together Credit Union and the home equity line of credit. And I actually shared a video today if you want to see what that uh, bathroom project looked like. Now, what Marsha would rather I do is save money, better yet, even grow that little nest egg. And I got to tell you, uh, 
Together Credit Union can help you with that, too. By the way, City SC's official banking partner, so that kind of says something. Oh. But they're offering a guaranteed way to grow your money with two limited-time CD promotions. The first is a 11-month CD term with a 5.40% annual percentage yield. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not even going to kid you. I don't know exactly what that means. But the folks at Together Credit Union do, and they can work it all out for you. The second option is a 19-month CD term with a 5.00% annual percentage yield. Both have options. Uh, both options require a minimum balance of $1,000, but then you just sit back and uh, count your money. How nice is that? You can visit togethercu.org today to find out more. You can also see all the other Fantastic programs Together Credit Union offers. Again, it's TogetherCU.org. Are you living with joint pain? Living with chronic or severe hip or knee pain should not mean giving up the things you love. Pain from arthritis and joint degeneration can be constant or come and go. It's common for patients to try medication and other conservative treatments to treat their knee or hip pain. If you haven't experienced adequate relief with those treatment options, you may be a candidate for a Mako Smart Robotics partial or total knee or hip replacement, which may provide you with relief from your joint pain. Signature Orthopedics Dr. Christopher Palmer specializes in robotic hip and knee replacements using a minimally invasive technology to provide patients with relief from arthritis and joint pain. Less invasive means less painful and faster recovery times. Learn more at drpalmerortho.com. You don't have to live with joint pain. Go to drpalmerortho.com to learn more and schedule your appointment and get back to the things you love. talk a little entertainment news. Britney Spears apologized to anyone who was hurt by things she wrote in her memoir. Now, she didn't name that anyone, but then she did talk about how much she loves Jen, Justin Timberlake's new music. So, And she said that every time she sees Justin and Jimmy on uh-huh. SNL, she just cracks up. Well, which... I think most of us do. It's I... pretty funny. You don't. Okay. No, 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 no. I kind of feel bad for Bryce Dallas Howard. Because I feel kind of like her SNL episode got hijacked. That wasn't who did it. Dakota Johnson. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Daughters of famous people. (laughs) You're just lumping them all in one. For 500. (laughs) I I thought Dakota Johnson did a pretty good job, actually. Did she? Yeah. Yeah, but they did uh, the Barry Gibb talk show. But that's really. Is that uh, all they really did? They didn't over uh, shadow her. Good. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes just signed a $100 million oh, deal God. to take Extension. their Smart Less podcast yeah. to Sirius, which, you know what? Good oh, for them. Boy. Kim Kardashian is producing and starring in a documentary series about Elizabeth Taylor for the BBC. The three-part docuseries, tentatively titled Elizabeth Taylor, Rebel Superstar, will take viewers on the ride of Taylor's transformative journey from a child star to the highest-paid actress in the world and will provide a new angle to her story through never-before-heard audio tapes, interviews, and unseen TV footage. Now, Kim Kardashian is featured in the series because this is shocking to me. She was the person who conducted the last interview 
with her before Elizabeth Taylor died at the age of 79 on March 23rd, 2011. Why she was interviewing her, I have no idea. Right. She says she's known her for years, but I got suckered in on clickbait. They said uh, Kim Kardashian in new Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, like starring in? Yeah. Yeah, She is not playing Elizabeth Taylor, so everybody can relax. Yeah. At the AMAs, 28 years ago this week, Garth Brooks won Artist of the Year but rejected it. Backstage, he said the award should have gone to Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh. Yeah. No, I think Garth... Rightfully deserved it. And uh, finally, a few celebrities celebrating a birthday today. Christian Bell is 50. So is Olivia Coleman, which kind of blows my mind. Phil Collins is 73. Vanessa Redgrave is 87. And Gene Hackman is 94. That's your evening entertainment report here on the Big 550 KTRS. Didn't you say Gene Hackman is lives out in New Mexico? Santa Fe. Yeah, I think he was taking art classes with Karen Foss at one point. How about that? Pretty yeah. cool. Hey, is that? I can't tell. Is that Gene Hackman over there? I can't tell. Um, blues play tonight, and I hate sports stats. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always something like... Uh, Oh, the youngest shortstop to ever hit uh, a double in the month of September when it's partly cloudy outside. These are these are sports stats. But here's one that I really am kind of digging. Mm-hmm. The last four Blues games have all ended in a 4-3 score. Kind of crazy. Blues winning all four of them. And it's the record. And they have a chance to... Extend the record tonight. Martin Kilcoin is rinkside. And what are you thinking? We're playing the Blue Jackets. You think we could beat them four to three tonight? I, I don't want to say anything that I'll regret later, but Josh, I agree with you. Ah. Okay. So, okay. Don't clip that off. Don't clip that oh, off. Oh, yeah. Please explain. Thanks for calling, Martin. I, I think there are too many stats, and it's true. It's usually a dumb stat. That's the first. Hockey player to score a goal in the month when his mother was born. And like, wait, what's that kind of stat? <laughs> I think they make them up. There's too many. It's easier just to look at wins and losses. And the Blues have won five in a row, which is really cool, right? Five in a row. And then you look up and you're like, Edmonton, you jerks. They've won 16 in a row. Oh. So the Oilers have the current longest streak in the NHL, but the Blues are right behind them. And, yeah, it's sort of an anomaly, right, to win by the exact same score. Four straight games, four to three, and every game has been decided in the final minute because he had overtime for the last three. The one before that wasn't overtime, but it was a goal in the final minute. So they've been playing sort of dramatic, thrilling hockey, winning in the final minute. So, yeah, this is a team that we'd kind of give it up on. And I love when teams say, for example, the Chiefs, and they're saying, nobody believed in us. Everybody doubted us. No, I don't think everybody doubted the Kansas City Chiefs. I think pretty, <laughs> when you have Patrick Mahomes, you're, you're, you're a Super Bowl contender every year. Is it the same as, you know, in some of their better years? No, but the Blues can honestly say, hey, I think people gave up on us. And we would all have to say, yeah, you're right, we did. We, did. we pretty much <laughs> gave up on And so now they won five in a row. They're in a playoff position. And really what the GM, Doug Armstrong, said at the beginning of the year, he said, he basically said, we're not going to be great. But if it all goes well, we could battle for a playoff position. And that's kind of where they are right now, thanks to this winning streak. Now, Columbus is in last place. This is a game you should win. Probably a little concern. It's the final game before the All-Star break. A lot of these guys are going 
you know, to warmer climates. You just hope mentally, and we've all done it, that we're not already on vacation. Still got to play this game tonight. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a, uh, a a different team in town, the Billikens, dead last in the A-10. Is this it for Travis Ford? Well, I think there's real, real concern right now. And I think if you're Travis Ford, you're concerned. Are you going to get fired? I think that's on the table for sure. I think going into the year, we didn't think they'd be very good or great, but nobody thought that they would be awful. And they've been awful. And they're giving up a lot of points. Um, you know, there's all these rumors. I don't know. You know, the public schools, you can look up the contracts. A lot of stories out there about a huge buyout that they'd have to buy Travis Ford out of his contract, write him a big check. SLU doesn't necessarily have the big, deep pockets some of these state schools do. Could that be a factor? But I, I think they're getting to the point where it's almost deciding itself. If you're this bad, and it, I don't know where the winds are going to come the rest of the way. You're sitting at 8 and 11 right now. One and six in the Atlantic 10. Uh, if you only win one or two more games, that's a really ugly final result. You could say, hey, he's only had one really bad year after he got here and turned it around. We were a 21 team several years in a row. But I think the critics would even say, even when they were pretty good, they didn't win enough. Mm-hmm. They didn't win the conference. They didn't win a tournament game. They made it one year to the NCAA, and that was after a minor miracle winning the A-10 postseason tournament. So, I think it's deciding itself. Chris May probably has no intention or didn't want to fire Travis Ford, but I think we're to the point where he may have no choice. We've got two weeks to talk about this upcoming Super Bowl, so maybe we push that off until next week, Martin. And how about this week we talk about a Super Bowl 24 years ago on this date? And I was telling Heidi, I'm watching the clip on YouTube, I don't remember Kevin Dyson actually getting as close as he did. It was close. Oh, the lunge there. Yeah, before Mike Jones made the tackle. Yeah, it was it was extremely close. And what we've always said is, oh, wow, it, it, you know, it saved the game. You're like, well, no, they would have tied it. We would have gone to overtime. I mean, it was a game-saving tackle for sure. But even more so when you hear Jeff Fisher, who has said since, of course, he was the Titans coach, he said had they scored, he was going to go for two. Oh. He was going to go for the win, which is kind of Dan Campbell-esque there. That would have created a lot of uproar, but it never happened. Mike Jones made the tackle. Rams win. I can't believe it was 24 years ago. And two things non-related to the game that stand out is they only had one week. We had Coach Vermeil last week, and he said, it's just not fair. You win the championship game, like the NFC championship. And then, like, that night, it's like, okay, we got to get on a plane tomorrow. Uh, who are we playing? Oh, we're playing the Titans. Okay, everybody pack their bags. Oh, is your family going? How many tickets? It was like, you really do need two weeks because you go into Championship Sunday. I bet Detroit Lions family members were starting to book flights, and you need a little time. But the other thing is the parade, I don't think it was the next. It might have been the next day. I need to look it up. But it was like immediate. Uh-huh. I'm like, I was still in Atlanta. It was the next day. I never. I didn't make it back in time. And they had the parade. Hey, they got off the plane. Let's have a parade. And now – cities have figured it out you wait three four days and plan it out and give people a chance to be there but uh the parade was historic and pe- people loved it it was memorable as well but i just think it's crazy that they did it the exact next day that is kind of crazy i don't think trey wingo was still in st louis covering that game but you got to catch up with him on the kill coin conversation yeah and i know you know trey from your days you probably i'm sure your careers at channel five overlap mm-hmm. trey 
you know, to be candid, get let go by ESPN. But since then, he's got all these different ventures going on, and he's doing great. He lives in Hawaii half the year. Wow. Covers football, covers golf, seemingly. When we taped the interview, a lot of my interviews we do end up recording, just truth be told. And he said, hold on, I'm going to step outside. I'm in Maui right now. I'm at the Ritz having breakfast. Oh, and I boy. said, okay, you know what? Blank you. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Can you? Okay, well, fine, pal. I was just at the quick trip in Maryland Heights putting air in my tire. <laughs> yeah. okay, so, so we're even. Yeah, we're how even. Come, hey, Martin, how come you're not in Hawaii right now at the Ritz? Because uh, I'm not Trey Wingo, clearly. Yeah. So he had, uh, yeah, and we, we had a fun conversation talking football. He really follows it closely. He's also got a segment, podcast, or show that's coming out soon called Alternate Route, Root Route, wherever you want, with Kevin Frazier, who people might know from Entertainment uh-huh. Tonight. And he said it's all about things that happened, but what if they didn't? He said, so, for example, what if Trent Green doesn't get injured? Yeah. Does Kurt Warner ever happen? Is Trent Green the St. Louis quarterback for 10 years and the hero and all these different things? So I'm sure there's a million of these sportsisms we can think of that had only this happened or didn't happen. So that anyway, that's one of the things he's got working on. Tonight on the show is Chris Pronger. That's coming up at 6 o'clock. Always entertaining, always sarcastic. Uh, he's selling his Canadian whiskey, which is with his brother. It's called Journey. And, and this interview only happened because I saw the display at Schnooks and I sent him a text. And I said, look at you bullying your way into the aisles at my neighborhood Schnooks. And he said, did you buy any? And ah. I said, well, I, to be honest, I said it was 745 in the morning. Said, <laughs> he didn't want that look. Yeah, I said, people will talk. When's that stopped you? Mm-hmm. So uh. then, I had to go, then I had to go back over the weekend. And so I said, let's do the show. So entertaining conversation about when he was traded here. And then when he was traded away, uh, funny that he did work for the league. He was one of the player safety advisors. And I said, wait a minute, you're considered one of the dirtiest players ever. You were in charge of player safety. So a fun conversation with Chris Pronger awaits. Well, I'll give you a uh, how about this scenario. What if things would have happened differently? Speaking of the Rams Super Bowl, what if they always talk about the the hangover, Super Bowl loss hangover? What if the Rams had won that second Super Bowl against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? Could we have been a dynasty here in St. Louis? And would we have lost the team had we had kind of – stuck it out and been a, a pretty good franchise throughout the 2000s? Well, I don't want to say that Josh and I are on the same page tonight, but this is this is one that – this is a good one, Josh. This, this is one scares me for you, Martin. This is, one, you know, I mean, this is much better than coming on the show, Heidi and Josh. What, what's it with marbles? Why do kids <laughs> play with marbles? This is much better <laughs> yes. more my wheelhouse. But you're right, and people have said that. First of all, former players, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Roos, have all said – different interviews I've done, we should have won more than one. With all the talent we had, there's absolutely no doubt. Most obvious chance would have been when they were in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, and they didn't win. They were big-time favorites. And a lot of people have said if you win there, there's less dysfunction in the building. Because after that, Mike March, Charlie Army, Jay Zygmunt, all the power brokers stopped getting along, and things just sort of disintegrated after that loss. And if they win that game, not only are you a dynasty, but then locally – the brand is so much bigger, stronger. Does the CBC, do the Dome people? Granted, money doesn't grow on trees, but are they more motivated? Hey, how do we how do we keep these guys happy? Mm-hmm. 
because you fast forward, by the time it was starting to heat up as dialogue downtown, well, it's 2007, it's 2008, and the team is horrible. And I know it's still about money, but just feel like the urge wasn't there, the sense of urgency, the desire to keep this particular franchise happy. It's like, well, who are these guys that want a new stadium? They're terrible. And had they been on a little more of a roll, you never know. But I do think the appetite might have been there to say, well, it's everybody in town might have been, oh, keep the Rams, you bet. And even though that was being heard, it wasn't the same outcry I think you would have had if you had a, a, a Chiefs or Patriots-type dynasty run. There would have been total outrage, like do anything you can to keep them. Yeah, great point. And Josh, nice job. Well, thank you. Thank you. Tell now, Trey to I, call I under, me. I understand next week it'll be. So who who picks out the pom-poms for the cheerleaders? I'm ready. I'm fully prepared for that next week. Martin, I'm, I'm compiling my Taylor Swift stories as we speak. Anyway, what could go wrong with a Super Bowl in Las Vegas? Oh, <laughs> Martin, thanks as always. All right. See you guys. All right. Let's wrap this show up with some randoms. I got a bunch of them. Astronomers say that the Milky Way galaxy mm-hmm. smells like rum and tastes like strawberry or like raspberries. How do they know? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But I have heard so many people say that space smells like gunpowder. Mm-hmm. And uh, they say it's because when they get back from spacewalks. They smell their clothes. And that's what it smells like? And that's what it smells like. So, who knows? Technically, Bruce Springsteen has never had a number one hit. The closest was Dancing in the Dark at number two. Which is just mind-boggling. 1984, Dancing in the Dark with... uh, Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, (laughs) yeah. In the video. But a song he wrote did hit number one. Manfred Mann hit number one in 1977 with a cover of Blinded by the Light. Isn't that crazy? Which, if you haven't heard the Bruce Springsteen version, you should check it out. It's completely different. Completely different. Uh, The famous pediatrician, Dr. Benjamin Spock, Mm -hmm. won a gold medal in rowing at the 1924 Olympics. Wow. And the point in North America that's the furthest from any ocean is in southwest South Dakota. It's a 1,000 miles from the nearest coastline. That's a good jaunt. It's a very random fact. Yes, it is. And that's what we look for you to do every evening about this time. That does it for us. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hopefully you'll come back starting at 3 o'clock. And until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's face. Get you through the night